The Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross. We will be discussing men's issues, dating, relationships, sex, women, fitness, health, business, men's hobbies, men's rights, and more. She will be talking about excerpts from her men's book, Mastering Women 2. Google KMET Advocate and save to your favorites every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time. Calling all men. It's now your time for your show with your coach, The Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross. Relax, be heard, and be understood. It's a show where men can be men. Now here's the coach who has your back, Linda Gross. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross. You are, if you are listening on Wednesday, three. Pre- 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, you are listening to us live. All right, we're here to welcome your questions. Please write down this number. Call us at 951-922-3532. That's 951-922-3532. So today we have uh, two segments for you today, two for the price of one, as they say. Um, We're going to be having uh, my first guest on. We're going to be talking about the history of alimony. And my second guest, uh, we're going to be talking about um, infant rights, child rights, with regard to uh, circumcision. So if you happen to have missed last week's show, we were talking to author Sean James, and we were talking about how single mothers destroy their sons. And we talked about the three books that... uh, author Sean James had written. So you can listen to uh, to that show and any show you like um, on demand by just uh, Googling TuneIn slash Linda Gross, and you can listen to my whole archive of shows. So I have a lot of new listeners. Um, please uh, recommend my Facebook page and also the uh the tune-in app uh, to your friends and family. The Facebook page, by the way, is The Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross. Same name as the radio show. And hit like page, which is at the top uh, corner, top right corner of the page. That way, every week, you're going to find out who the guests are, what we're talking about during the show if we talk about uh, links or articles or books or whatever the subject matter is, I will post this right on my fan page. All right, so that's a little bit of um, general business here. Let's hop right into today's topic. This is a follow-up topic uh, from two weeks ago from our show from two weeks ago. Uh, we have several representatives across the country. I think it's about 30 states altogether where men are just sick and tired of paying lifetime alimony. My guest today, we're going to get into a little bit of the the history of that. So they are pursuing it with their uh, constituents and with their legislatures to try to see if those laws can be overturned. They made a lot of sense many, many decades ago when women and children were not protected and they were not working and didn't have rights. But it seems like today 70% of women are working and it seems like we need some house cleaning with regard to what those rights are. So without further ado, let's welcome my first guest. His name is his name is Wyman Oxner. He is the representative um, and president of um, South Carolina Alimony Reform, and we're going to talk about the history of alimony then and now. Welcome, Wyman. Thank you, Linda. Uh, thank you for having me on your show. Absolutely. All right. So tell us a little bit about your background, how you got uh, started with this cause. Why are you so passionate uh, about it? You know, give us a little personal background with it. Okay. Well, naturally, I was divorced and and forced to pay alimony. Uh, I didn't think it was fair uh, for anybody to have to pay somebody for the rest of their life simply because their marriage failed. 
Um, I actually ran into my representative at Walgreens in the town that I live in. Yes. I started telling him the story of what was going on, and I told him there was a, there were a lot of other people that were having this problem, and he became very interested in it, and we uh, started South Carolina Alimony Reform at that point. Wow. So uh, just- I, had been all, I, had, I had been all the way to the South Carolina uh, Court of Appeals, and I realized uh, by continually going to court, I was just going to go broke because I had to pay my attorney and hers when I went to court. And uh, there was no way that could continue, so I realized the only way to change things would, would be to change the laws. Wow, so it was just a random occurrence that you happened to run into uh, this person at the store, at, at Walgreens. That was random, but I would have contacted him eventually <laughs> so you just recognized him because you knew what his face looked like or you knew him from the community right. or something? Wow. Right, yeah, from earlier, yes. That's interesting. All right, so I'm very interested. I think you have a little bit of background for us. Uh, give us a little history on alimony. How and why did it get started? You know, did it make sense back in the day? And does it no longer make sense now? Give us your, your viewpoint on that. Right. Well, a hundred years ago, uh, women didn't have it, did not have any legal standing. That they, they couldn't own anything. They couldn't enter into contracts. They couldn't earn money. Um, you know, as you come up into the 1900s, if they did have a job, it would generally be as a teacher, which did not bring in a lot of income. So, if the if the husband left the wife, the wife was pretty much destitute, and uh, anything the wife brought to the marriage automatically became the property of the husband. So if the husband abandoned the wife, she'd have to be supported by the community or her family. Wow. So alimony was established to provide for the abandoned wife until she either remarried or died. Well, it's a different story today because now in four out of ten households, women make more than men. Uh, Women have good jobs now. They make as much as men practically. Maybe not glass ceiling may totally be broken, but uh, women are now CEOs of companies. They own their own companies. they're making money. They can take care of themselves, just like everybody else does today. Um, alimony is actually the only payment in America that never ends until somebody dies or remarries. Uh, even child support, it ends at age 21 when the child becomes an adult and is capable of taking care of himself. Then that stops. But it doesn't for an ex-wife. Hmm. Interesting. All right. So give us a little bit of background with regard to um, you were we were talking last time on on last time's show about a bill has been passed to form a study committee in your state to evaluate whether changes need to be made with regard to this law. Right. We had that bill passed last year. Uh, The study committee was was formed, and they have until uh, December the 31st to pass the recommendations to the legislature. Yes. Uh, Staff attorney is now preparing a report. But this is something that we haven't done before, so I don't really know how that's going to work until, until we see see the report. And how much time have they had to be in this status? They've had a whole year to form this committee and evaluate uh, such issues? Well, the, the, the bill was passed in June of last year, and they actually started the committee as far as meeting in September. So they've had about three months to be working on it. Oh. Uh, we, also have another, we also have another bill in the House that got first reading uh, last spring, so uh, that's our own bill with our own proposals, and that will pick up right where it left off once the legislature reconvenes. Got it. All right, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Men's Advocate Show. You're on with my guest today, Wyman Oxner. Um, he is the president of South Carolina Alimony Reform. If you want to get your call or question in, do so. Write down this number right now, 951-922-3532. That's 951-922-3532. When we come back from the break, we're going to be talking a little bit more about alimony reform and the history of it.
You've heard her on the Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross. How can you help further? From her Facebook fan page of the same name. Hit the Shop Now button and save this link to your favorites. Make all your usual Amazon purchases, and some of the revenue will support her show at no additional cost to you. No book purchase required. Just start with this link every time. The Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross thanks you. Do you have a business or are you thinking about starting one? Do you have contracts, leases, and other documents that need legal review to ensure you are protected? If so, contact the law offices of Michael W. Brown for assistance. With over 20 years experience advising clients on business matters, they provide practical legal advice to help you succeed. Their goal is to give the right answer for you, not just the legal answer. Initial consultations are always free. Visit mwb-law.net or call 949 949- 636-8128. That's the law offices of Michael W. Brown. 949-636-8128. Hey guys, want to go from cocky and confused to confident in four sessions or less? Linda Gross has done years of academic research combined with interviewing over 20,000 men. Tackle relationship issues, business goals, conflict resolution, and lifetime roadblocks that have kept you back. Realize the benefits now. Go to the Men's Advocate page slash coaching and you'll be on your way. That's www.themensadvocate.com slash coaching. The Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross. We will be discussing men's issues, dating, relationships, sex, women, fitness, health, business, men's hobbies, men's rights, and more. She will be talking about excerpts from her men's book, Mastering Women, too. Google KMET Advocate and save to your favorites every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time. We proudly rejoin our programming with The Men's Advocate Show with your host, Linda Gross. On KMET, 1490 AM, Smart Talk. Welcome back, everybody. We are on with my guest today, Wyman Oxner. He is the president of South Carolina Alimony Reform. Uh, Wyman, I keep hearing, even though 30 men in in their various states are uh, on this mission to reform alimony, I hear that one of the biggest constituencies is women, meaning that there are some women now, you were mentioning that some women do out-earn their husbands, um, and now it's the women who have to pay the husband's alimony. So one of the biggest groups that want to eradicate this law is women. Is that true in your state as well? What is your experience with that? Uh, it's not so much women paying alimony. That, that probably accounts for about 10% of the alimony, but that will be continue to get larger, I'm sure. Uh, the women in this state are very important because most of the women that are in our group are second wives, and they're tired of being – they're working pretty much to pay alimony to the first wife. Right. What so, happens with alimony so – what happens with alimony – go ahead. I'm sorry. T- tell our listeners what that means so they understand uh, how the second wife's income affects the alimony status. Well, for instance, if the husband is working, if he loses his job – he still got to pay the alimony, and if he doesn't pay it, they'll lock him up. So the ex, so the wife has to work to pay the first wife in that case, or to keep him out of jail. Or if he gets hurt or disabled, it doesn't really matter. That's his problem in the way the law sees it in this state. At least that's what I'm getting from my members. Oh, so it's not a situation where they're taking joint income of the husband and the new wife. Actually, they do that. When you go to court, they subpoena the, your new wife's income, which is one of our proposals that, that that should end, that the new wife's income should not be allowed as part of the alimony process because right. she had nothing to do with it. Gotcha. It shouldn't affect her. 
Now, I heard in your state, correct me if I'm wrong, in, in our state, in California, we, we have a no-fault state, which means you can't sue for, um, you know, the, the, the husband had a fling or something like that or indiscretion. You can no longer sue for that. So I heard in your state that the man did not have to pay alimony because actually the wife was having an affair. So is your state you can sue for the one of your spouses uh, having an affair? It's a, it, the law actually is supposed to be that if the wife commits adultery before the divorce that you should not have to pay alimony, but that is not the way it's working here. We've got members, uh, that one called me yesterday. He's got evidence that his wife has been living with a guy uh, We've got a 90-day cohabitation clause here that states if the you know if the wife lives 90 consecutive days with a with a another person as a as a uh, in a romantic relationship that the alimony can come to an end. But they circumvent this a lot of times by the, by living together for 85 days and moving out for five days or you know some similar circumstance like that. But he actually has proof. He paid a private investigator. He proved that she was there living, and uh, they won't hear it. So that's not an actual law now. It's it's a proposed law. It's one of the proposed proposals of alimony reform, right? You talking about the ninety day cohabitation? Yeah, the law? Nine, yes. Well, if if, that if is, that, no, that is that, that is actually a law. Uh, our proposal is to remove that ninety day clause. Okay. And if they're seen, if they're known as a romantic couple, or witnesses that see them, they go on trips together. Uh, they pay income taxes together. They live in the same household, and they are a romantic couple, and the alimony should end immediately. Got it. All right. Um, to my listeners, I'm going to post uh, all of Wyman's information on my Facebook fan page. That's the Men's Advocate Show uh, fan page. Uh, you can reach him at um, SC, which is short for South Carolina AlimonyReform.com. SC AlimonyReform.com. Wyman, I want to thank you for your participation. Keep us updated on uh, what's happening after the new year with your bill, and I'll be happy to bring you back on for an update. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you, Wyman. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. okay thank you. Thank you. My next guest um, is going to be. Uh, here we are, Stephen um, Svoboda. Stephen, oh, that's a mouthful. Svoboda, and he is going to be talking to us about stand up for your son. He is an anti-circumcision activist. So let me give you a little bit of background about Stephen. Stephen, you're there, right? You can hear me. You take me off of mute, Stephen. I can't hear you. All right, so let me give you a little background about Stephen. He is uh, the founder of ARC, which is the Attorneys for the Rights of Children, ARC, and his website is arclaw.org. That's arclaw.org. Don't worry about this. I'll put all this on my Facebook fan page. Um, it is a federally and state-certified nonprofit corporation uh, that Steve founded in 1997. Uh, Steve graduated summa cum laude from uh, UCLA, a fellow Bruin, and received his uh, master's degree from uh, UC Berkeley and then graduated uh, cum laude from Harvard Law School. Stephen, welcome to our show. Can thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thanks for being on board. So we're going to talk a little bit about why you're you're advocating for uh, child's rights in this endeavor. Why are you against uh, circumcision being performed uh, in the hospital? Well, um, we think that adults have the right to make their own decisions about their bodies. But what what we're opposing is any surgery that isn't medically required on anyone below the age of consent because by definition they're not able to agree to this procedure being done and when they become adults they can make their own choices and in fact most males who aren't circumcised even in the US where there's a pro-circumcision culture to some extent don't in fact elect to have the procedure done and you, you know we don't do anything else like this there's no other procedure we know is not medically needed that we do on children um, despite the lack of justification for it, even individually, let alone routinely, this is done, still being done to around half the male children in the U.S. 
And do you and your organization see circumcision um, to be, you want it to be considered the same as female circumcision, where, you know, some countries are slicing off the clitoris uh, to deny women pleasure. Um, do you want to put that in, in the same category, male and female should be considered mutilation? Well, there's more than one question there. Um, I mean, the, what, is, what does mutilation mean? It's, it's, it's sort of a loaded word, and it, people tend to think of mutilation as a bad thing, which I think it is. But what it really means, I think, is um, changing somebody's body to a state that it wouldn't normally be in without a reason for doing that. And so, yes, I mean, I think if we get beyond our cultural blindness, which we have, we're sort of like fish swimming in the fishbowl of circumcision being a normal thing. And that was, in fact, my reaction when I first heard about the issue back in 1990. If we can get beyond that and sort of see it objectively, it, like Europeans can do, for example, because they don't do either form of genital cutting. In fact, I think it does technically match the definition of mutilation. Uh, but, I, I mean, I, we, we don't go down the road at all about trying to equate things. I mean, I wish none of this stuff was happening. I wish female genital cutting wasn't happening. I wish male cutting wasn't happening. And I wish intersex cutting wasn't happen happening. The cutting of people who are neither male nor female, and that is a sizable minority in the U.S., more than many people realize. So, And those people are cut to bring them into conformity with what's seen as a bimodal gender definition, um, that people have to be either male or female. Well, in fact, they don't, and males don't need this process to do whatever the ostensible reason is for supposed health, for supposed conformity, whatever the reason is. Um, I mean, I've heard a lot of strange reasons in my time, and the same with female cutting. And I, I think that what happens is there's – I mean, I'm an optimist. I think cultures gradually learn, and, and there's an arc of growth and development and greater wisdom that happens. I mean, we're not – when I was a kid – it was not okay to be gay, and nobody had heard of transgender people, and, and now we're, we're developing more awareness of a lot of minority. I mean, disabled people when I was a kid were vilified, and that was, that was considered okay by many. And I, I think we're just gradually developing awareness, and this is just one other step in the process. So, Stephen, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you, you know, become the advocate for supporting these issues? Well, I'm not the advocate. There's many people who work with me. I'm certainly an advocate. I and mean, at this point, I've become a bit of an old timer, which is a little bit shocking since I started, <laughs> I started my, my organization in early 1997. So it's 18 and a half years now, and I've been doing the work for longer than that. But anyway, um, I mean, I, I've been a lifelong do-gooder. I, you know, I, I've done just so many different um, social justice and sort of social improvement causes, starting right when I became an adult. And... Um, I, I, was in, I was in law school in 1990. I, I came to um, San Francisco for half of the summer. I spent the other half in Guatemala, actually, doing human rights work with indigenous people, visiting morgues and confronting army generals and fun stuff like that. And I co-wrote a Human Rights Watch report. So the other half of the summer, I was in San Francisco. And somehow I got hooked up with these nuts. I, I'm saying this sort of jokingly in a way, but these nuts that were involved in this issue. And I thought it was pretty strange. Why would anybody care about this? It seems so minor. And yeah, it probably is justified, but it just seems like such a small issue. But, uh, you know, I, I, kept them, I kept an open mind and I, I learned about it. And some of the people who had been doing it for a while were kind enough to tell me more about it. And I eventually came to the conclusion that, you know, there is something there. And this is our area of blindness as a country. And I'm not our only area, but one area. And I decided I wanted to do some work on it. So that's, that's what happened. And it's such an interesting area. It's got so many, as we'll t discuss later, it's got so many aspects to it that keeps the intellectual fascination going. So I don't know if you had any personal experience with regard to um, circumcision that, you know, had a negative effect on you or a family member or perhaps you have, you know, a, a son who maybe had some issues. Is that how you got passionate about it? Or do you no, it's not do really personally based. I mean, there there are there are certainly um, men, obviously, in the movement because if it was a woman in the movement she, and she's from the U.S., she probably wouldn't be circumcised. We actually do have one pretty active activist who wrote this beautiful book that I gave a rave review to, Patricia Robinette, and she had she did she was actually cut. It's sort of an, an unusual story, but um, but a lot, of, a lot of the men that are activists on this issue do feel a personal sort of commitment to it. And, and, and for me, it's more, this is wrong, this should not be happening. And I seem to have 
devoted, decided to devote some time to it. And, um, and I do, have, I do have a son. Um, I don't generally talk about his situation because I think it's, it's really for him to decide what to disclose. But I will say this. I mean, my, uh, my ex-wife, her, his mother is Jewish and she's a pediatrician and she never was in favor of the procedure. And we had no disagreement between ourselves on that, on that point. Hmm, interesting. All right, if you've just joined our show, you're listening to The Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross. Um, please call us with questions for Stephen on this issue about circumcision uh, for or against. Our call-in number is 951-922-3532. Again, that number is 951-922-3532. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about are men discriminated with regard to their rights. Talk to, catch you right after the break. What's your life like right now? Do you ever wish it could change? I have news for you. It can. Blue Dragon University has easy-to-use digital blueprints that lead to instant results. Improve your weight loss goals, intelligence, career, and relationships quickly. Our simple proven techniques at Blue Dragon University will cognitively help you perform better. Blue Dragon has the key. Check us out at BlueDragonENT.com. That's BlueDragonENT.com. Let's boost your life today. Hi guys, you've heard her on the Men's Advocate Show. Linda Gross wants you to know what turns a woman on and makes her go wild so she just can't help herself. Check out Linda's book, Mastering Women, real truth about women that'll change your life forever. Linda gives you all the insider tips on how to catch a woman and if you want to keep her. In four easy steps, these proven techniques will make women just melt. Ever wonder why the girl you really liked seemed to be great when you met, then all of a sudden just goes cold on you and turns you off? Linda will also let you know what not to do on a date. Never blow it again by losing another hot woman. You don't have to be good looking or even have money. Her book, Mastering Women, is available in paperback and ebook. Men, Linda's on your side. So buy her book, Mastering Women. Buy it for now. And don't keep your women waiting another minute. Get Mastering Women today. You've heard her on the Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross. How can you help further? From her Facebook fan page of the same name. Hit the Shop Now button and save this link to your favorites. Make all your usual Amazon purchases and some of the revenue will support her show at no additional cost to you. No book purchase required. Just start with this link every time. The Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross thanks you. Ready for a change? Check out Fitness Inc. magazine, Southern California's first magazine devoted to tattooed fitness models. From the beaches of La Jolla to the gyms of Los Angeles, we find you the hottest models in SoCal. We have a full line of athletic clothing, workout supplements, and the best fitness articles in the industry. Find us at fitnessinc.com. That's fitnessinc.com. Now back to the Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross on KMET 1490 AM, where men can be men. Welcome back, everybody. You're on with the Men's Advocate. We're talking to my guest, Attorney Stephen Zavoda. Uh, we're talking about uh, whether or not your son should be circumcised circumcised. Um, Stephen is, is pro, I mean, he is anti-circumcision. Uh, We're talking about that issue today. We want to inform you. We want to raise questions and raise your awareness with regard to this issue, that there is more than one way to go on this topic. Um, so I'd like to ask, I, I'd like to let my audience know that Stephen Auth co-authored a book on gender studies along with Dr. Warren Farrell. The name of the book is called does feminism discriminate against men? 
So what do you think, Stephen? Do you think with regard to genital rights that men are discriminated um, on this topic versus women are not? Well, that's an explosive way to ask the question. I, mean, I, think, I think on a literal level, yes. I mean, d- discrimination in its most um, sort of calmest formulation, dis- discrimination means treating two groups differently. And so, yes, certainly males are treated differently than females on this topic. I mean, again, as I said earlier, um, we're not engaging in the exercise of trying to compare male and female Cutting, we'd like to see all forms of cutting of children that aren't medically required stop. Um, but you know, there it is an interesting question. Why do we why do we treat males and females so differently? And I and I think it goes to the root of we have really different perception, gender perception, and this is why the intersex cutting issue is so interesting. I mean, one of my best friends is actually an intersex activist on these issues. I met her at the. 2000 and uh, what was it? 2014 Boulder Symposium that was held about a year and a half ago, and um, she was born with genitalia, and she's out about this, so I can say this: she was born with genitalia that are neither male nor female, and people like that really lead one to look at how we divide the world into this bimodal um, division, and we have such different ideas about males and females, and I personally don't think that these differences. Are, are as justified as we think they are. And, but I have the programming like everybody else does, so it's not that I'm above it. I, I definitely have it too. Well, I think I think a lot of the divide was created, you know, decades and decades ago, you know, that she was the little woman and women and children need to be protected. And, you know, the laws made sense back then. So there are a lot of laws that haven't been updated. I mean, why do we send men to the gas chamber, but we don't send women to the gas chamber, for example? So, you know, throw this uh, category in there as well. So, um, and then my previous guest on alimony, you know, why do men need to pay alimony for when, you know, that's certainly not the case, you know, to anywhere near the same degree as with, with regard to, um, you know, to, to, to women doing that. So um, anyway, I, I understand, Brett, that we have a caller on the line. Frank, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hi, I'm Frank. Back. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for calling in. You have a question or comment for my guest today? Well, we were, uh, as we discussed earlier a little bit, that you talked about, that you'd posted on Facebook. Uh, my son uh, was uh, circumcised at the age of two, actually about two and a half. Uh, when he was born and we had uh, discussed having circumcision done, we were talked out of it by the nurses that were present during the uh, last couple of days after he was born. Uh, they kept telling us uh, how painful it was, that it was unnecessary, that it was no longer a uh, uh, health measure or anything like it, like it was years ago. And uh, because of that, we, of course, you know, opted not to have my son circumcised. And in the process, we regretted it uh, tremendously at the end because of the, uh, the amount of pain and the problems that were, arose from it. Well, you know, I, I've heard stories like this a lot, and, and I'm not a doctor, but the thing you have to understand is when somebody only has a hammer, they usually look to solve a, to solve a problem using that hammer. And our hammer has been circumcision. And it, what, really an illuminating exercise is to look at Europe, where no males are circumcised, basically, unless you're Jewish or Islamic, and um, look at whether men are, in fact, having problems and in fact, their health is a lot better than American males' health, and specifically their sexual health. So in short, um, I'm told by my doctor experts on the subject that there is a, a non-zero, vanishingly small, but non-zero percentage of people that have problems that are best solved by circumcision, but that is incredibly rare. What's much more common is they can be solved by antibiotic or by other approaches that are less extensive, less drastic, and... Um, and these are the approaches that are taken in other countries that don't have this history of, of thinking that this is a procedure that needs to be done. And now another interesting 
interesting fact is there have been studies that have shown that female circumcision can have certain medical benefits, but no one is proposing doing that. And I'm not supporting it. I'm not saying they should be, certainly not. But my point is you can, any part, body part can get sick, can get ill. So any body part being removed can have certain advantages in certain cases, but we don't do that unless the body part is diseased or otherwise has an already in place problem that can't be solved otherwise. And again, that's almost never the case with circumcision. So you're saying that the medical experts that whom you've consulted with, they're saying that in most cases it can be solved, you know, uh, with medicine or Almost without, without, almost without, without going to surgical procedures. Almost always, almost always. I mean, the doctors in, the, in this country, though, the older ones at least, you look at the medical textbooks they studied from, there's not even an, an intact penis pictured in the book. I mean, it, penises are shown circumcised as if that's the norm. Well, it's not the norm. And so the, doc, the physicians have, have um, gotten their training in, in an area of, of ignorance as well. And um, you know, a lot of the older urologists, urological surgeons you'll go to, whoever it might be, they're giving you their best expertise based on what they were taught, but it's sort of like the doctors of, in earlier times. We understand that bleeding patients is no longer something that makes them healthier, but the doctors at that time actually thought that was a good thing to do. And, you know, I, I mean, I had my, my tonsils and adenoids taken out, and we now know that's not necessary. We're, we're gradually evolving and, and advancing in our, in our knowledge, but sometimes society doesn't keep up with medical knowledge. Right. So it's just a learning curve, you're thinking. I hope so. That that's our goal. That's our hope. Uh, you know, I guess Fred's son, you know, didn't uh, he? They did not circumcise, and then at a later point in time, when you know there was illness and infection and so forth, they did, uh, you know, did undergo the procedure. So let me read you a couple of uh, stats with regard to a, what a circumcised man enjoys. Uh, they're saying that sixty percent less risk for prostate cancer, ninety-five percent less risk for penile cancer, and fifty percent less risk for contracting an STD. And they're also saying that the World Health Organization and the CDC recommend circumcision. And I know you, Stephen, have gone to Geneva on behalf of uh, the United Nations. How do you feel about these stats? Do they go, you know, in the face of what you're trying to accomplish? Well, they're they're not correct. I mean, there was a recent European, objective European study by 34 experts of this whole Subject, in, in the wake of the American Academy of Pediatrics position statement, one of the things you're referring to here, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics put out this position statement and then um, the Europeans were, were, were outraged because it, it so pro-circumcision, it was couched so that it wasn't, ostensibly wasn't pro-circumcision. But if you read between the lines, there are all these reasons in there that, that, that supposedly can justify the procedure if, if the parent feels the need or something like that, that there were just a whole panoply of excuses for doing it. And the Europeans said there's just, there's just one reason that actually has any basis whatsoever for circumcision. There's just one reason. And that, that one reason that actually has any validity at all is prevention of urinary tract infections. But the problem with that is girls get more UTIs than boys, and no one's proposing circumcising girls. And the other thing is, is that the UTIs can be treated with antibiotics. So while it's true that this one, taint, this one small justification, in quotes, exists, it, it's actually not a justification when you look at the whole situation and the principle of treating patients with the least intrusive measure, and also the principle of saving money in this cost-conscious era. So, you know... I've heard these arguments a lot, and you have to scratch your head at one point and ask, why are people so desperate to remove this functional body part from males? It has three roles. It, it's, it's, it has erogenous roles, it has immunological roles, and it has protective roles. It does three, three classes of functions, and why, why are people so anxious to remove this? I mean, there's no other body part, healthy, normal, natural body part, in anybody that we're, we're removing. And circumcising a dog is against the law. So why is circumcising males not against the law? It doesn't make any sense. And we're trapped in this historical accident. And I, and I firmly believe, I don't know what the timeline is, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, we're going to stop doing it because people are already getting the message. Doctors are getting the message. People in the street are getting the message. We're going to stop doing it, and we're going to scratch our heads, and we're going to say, why was this thing ever done? And why did this nut, Stevens? no, not nut, but why did this 
person, Stephen Svoboda, have to spend all these years of his life working on this issue that should have never happened in the first place. And, and that, so my goal, my highest goal in this work is to make myself obsolete. And I sincerely hope that that happens as soon as possible. Well. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. Um, Frank, I'm going to take your comment when we come back from the break. If you've just joined us, Frank, if you can uh, stay on just the line just a moment through the break. Anyway, if you've just joined us, you're listening to the Mint Advocate Show with Linda Gross. You're on with my guest, attorney Stephen Zavoda. Um, anyway, he is a pr- pro I'm sorry, <laughs> I lost, lost my train of thought. He is against circumcision. We're talking about that. Should you uh, circumcise your son or not? We'll see you right back after the break. guys want to go from cocky and confused to confident in four sessions or less linda gross has done years of academic research combined with interviewing over 20,000 men tackle relationship issues business goals conflict resolution and lifetime roadblocks that have kept you back realize the benefits now go to the men's advocate page slash coaching and you'll be on your way that's www.themensadvocate.com slash coaching. You've heard her on The Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross. How can you help further? From her Facebook fan page of the same name. Hit the Shop Now button and save this link to your favorites. Make all your usual Amazon purchases and some of the revenue will support her show at no additional cost to you. No book purchase required. Just start with this link every time. The Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross thanks you. The law offices of Michael W. Brown gives the right answer for you, not just the legal answer. Initial consultations are always free. Save this number now, 949-636-8128. That's the law offices of Michael W. Brown, 949-636-8128. Thanks for tuning in to the Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross on KMAT 1490 AM, where men can be men. Welcome back to the Men's Advocate Show. You're on with Linda Gross. Just want to announce what's going on for next week. Next week's show, Wednesday, 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. On with uh, attorney Michael Brown, who's also one of my sponsors. And we're going to talk about legal issues at work, men at work, how to uh, make an easy time at work if you're working for a corporation, how not to get in trouble, not to get pink slipped, and hopefully not to get fired. So we're going to talk about some, there are some new laws that are going into place in 2016, and he'll give us an update on how you can best handle yourself and get ahead and not hurt your pocketbook. I'll also be on uh, tomorrow with uh, host Nick Lynch. Listen to that radio podcast. Um, it's I'm going to be on runwithnick.com. That's runwithnick.com. I'll post all this information on the Facebook fan page for you. All right, so let's get back into our topic. We were speaking to our caller, Frank. Um, Frank, go ahead, please. You you had some comments back to uh, Stephen on this issue. Several on that. Uh, I was listening to his reference to uh, a comparison about female uh, uh, circumcision. Uh, the problem that comes up with what he's talking about there is with female, female circumcision, the uh, Hood is only circumcised off of the clitoris, not across or around the re- urethra. Uh, on the male, the glands is also part of the urethra, and that's where we urinate from and where uh, most of the body waste comes out of. But there are also uh, deposits of sphagma, which is a uh, oily-like substance that the glands uh, secretes on a 24-hour basis. When uh, you have a foreskin that's over, of course, that's... Uh, 
continues to collect underneath the foreskin has to be cleaned out on a regular basis without uh, allowing it to build up. Otherwise, you get infections, you get lesions. Uh, and you have the problems my son had with it, of course, where he had uh, excessive smegma uh, uh, there, and it, it caused the lesions and caused his foreskin to adhere to the glands of his penis. The, uh, with women, uh, the only reason they, uh, that I've been able to read about where they do circumcision is that they remove the, uh, the hood of the clitoris, uh, and in some instances, the clitoris in itself. And that's what they call circumcision in some of the other places. But, but uh, that's still not uh, part of it. It's not a health reason for women, not like that. And men, uh, when we have uh, a foreskin, if you have sex, you uh, run the risk of catching uh, more venereal diseases because it holds more of the uh, bacteria under the skin after the erection goes down and creates so many more problems than what uh, people realize. Hey, had my son uh, been able to have had his uh, foreskin removed at birth, which is usually within the, the first day, 24 to 48 hours, he would not have had a memory of the pain and the agony he went through during the uh, issues when the uh, infection started. And then at two and a half, when he had to have it removed, he still remembers the pain and all of the uh, work that we had to do to treat the uh, the area of the wound after the foreskin was removed. And, of course, because of the infections, his foreskin was totally removed. He did not even have the little piece of it that's normally left around the glands that allows it to uh, uh, cover everything or allows for stretching. So he uh, has a little more discomfort than most people. Uh, it's, and this runs into everything. The practice of circumcision began over 2,000 years ago. That was part of the... Uh, the Jewish uh, rules for cleanliness, they did it not because they were uh, trying to set themselves off from other people. They did it because of the fact that there was too many diseases and other issues going around, and it was easier for the men to keep themselves clean. Uh, so, you know, comparing female uh, circumcision to male circumcision is not apples. It's apples and oranges. It's not actually apples and apples the way it, you would think it would be. But the other is that it should be decided on an a individual basis, uh, basically for health reasons, not because it's cosmetically correct. And I don't know if anybody, even when my son was born, that we talked to ever considered having it done for cosmetic reasons. Okay, well, um, thank you. So I'm sorry the problems you had with your son, and I know that can create... A lot of feelings. I mean, I have a son who's 14, almost 14, and I certainly would feel strongly if anything happened to him. And that's why my ex-wife and I, who's Jewish, she's a, she's a pediatrician, so her job is to treat children medically. Um, that's why my ex-wife and I decided that we would um, keep our son intact. And, um, you know, I've heard a lot of stories about things like this, but the bottom line is you're, you're saying let's, it should be the individual's choice. And I agree. And that's what a court in Germany said couple years ago it should be the individual's choice and the individual in question is the child and the child can decide what he wants to do when he turns 18 and that's totally great and a small minority of people and men in this country do decide to be circumcised it's a very small number but they do and the vast majority decides not to and again let's look at europe i mean are men falling down in streets and droves in, in the netherlands norway finland there's been no reports of that in fact to the contrary the studies of sexual health of, of men in Europe has shown that they're in better sexual health than men in the U.S. So you have to ask yourself, why do we live in this in this culture that wants to do this procedure? And, and as far as male versus female, I explicitly said I was not comparing male and female. I made quite a point about that. They're two different procedures. They're both forms of genital cutting. Neither of them is justified by medical necessity, and neither of them should be done. And Honey Lightfoot Klein, who's, who wrote three books about female genital cutting, had a whole chapter where she laid out the reasons for male genital cutting and female genital cutting, culture, aesthetics, health for both female and male. So they're different countries, and I know, speaking for myself, um, it's, hard, it's really hard to get beyond the cultural trappings that one grows up in. I know that it is. I understand that. I sympathize with that. I'm not trying to make light of that. I really am not. And at the same time, you have to ask yourself, the Europeans don't do either one. They're totally fine. The Africans, some African countries do both and don't understand why we 
are very scornful and dismissive of their female genital cutting and yet totally accepting of their male genital cutting. They consider the two to be quite parallel. And so at some point you have to ask yourself, well, why are we doing this? What is the reason? And as far as the Jews go, I mean, come on. I mean, the Jews did all sorts of things that 2,000 years ago that aren't done anymore. Pretty much nothing is done anymore that exists from that time. And if you read the Bible, you'll find tons of slayings and, and cutting off your nose to spite your face saying comes from the you're fact that people used to cut off each other's noses totally when they got into battle with each other. So, you when know, talking about the Bible, the Bible, I mean, I, I revere religious belief, and I'm not saying anything against it, but you can't import the Bible into, into 2015 and have it survive the, the passage literally. I think it's a good guide for how to live on a higher plane, but I think to take something like, um, you know, some practice that, that may be based in, in, in holy writings or may not be, I, I mean, come on, I mean, we, we've changed so many things as, we, as we've gotten grown as a culture and learned that being gay is actually being gay is actually acceptable being gay does actually not mean you need to be stoned and adultery does not actually mean you need to be stoned to death and you know we've learned a lot of things that we have grown when we're talking about circumcision we're not talking about punishment for committing crimes or for adultery or anything of that nature excuse me we're we're developing a society we're reaching toward a higher ground and that's why the European political entity, the Council of Europe, issued two proclamations recently saying that male circumcision is a human rights violation should not be performed. They have no vested interest in that. It's not being done in Europe except for Islamic people and Jewish people. Their interest is in protecting children and in doing the right thing. And that was the reason for that. And that was why the court in Germany reached the decision that you can do whatever you want to with your own body. If you're Jewish and, or whatever you are, if you're, you're Seventh-day Adventist, whatever it may be, and whatever the religion may be, and seriously, and there's some practice that requires you to do something to your body, you're totally welcome to do that. And, you know, I, and I support you in that. But the problem is when you try to do it to your child, you're marking him, if it's a Jewish case or an Islamic case, you're marking him with a religion that he may not or she may not, if it's a girl, decide to be in when they reach adulthood. And again, that's the basic principle here. If there's a medical emergency, if you're going to save their life by doing a medical procedure, be it cutting off their arm or their leg or their nose or, or part of their penis, whatever it is, more power to you. Do it. Save their life. Definitely. If there's a medical justification for it. If there isn't, leave it alone. Leave it alone. They can decide when they get older do they want to be marked this way or do they not? Do they want to have this part of their body removed or do they not? Maybe they will. Maybe they'll want it off. But the other thing is, is this thing about kids don't remember it. That's totally not true. And David Chamberlain has written books. He died recently. He was a friend of mine. But he's, he's written books about this. I would suggest you look up David Chamberlain's work. It's been extensively documented that, in fact, these things can have lifelong effects. And, and I thank God that I don't have it. But a lot of people I work with and know consider their circumcision to be the most traumatic event of their lives and it scarred them for their entire lives and my heart goes out to them i feel sorry for them and you know i i hope that they get through their lives and manage to recover but it may seem innocuous because we're familiar with it but it is not innocuous for many of these men that had very traumatic results from it Stephen, don't, don't, Stephen, don't you think that, um, you know, since the child can't have informed consent, don't we have to dial this back down to the parental level and really educate the Thank parents? You. Sorry, we're running out of time. We'll have to do this again, Stephen. Yeah, um, well, a parent hey, can't consent to a procedure on a child unless there's medical reasons. So, so we'll, no, we... see, we'll see you, everybody, next time, next Wednesday, uh, 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 Eastern, at the Men's Advocate Show.